Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Welcome to another Communication Mixdown. I'm Jen Martin. And I'm John Langer. And it's January the 26th, Australia Day. That's the official designation, and it's supposed to be a day of national celebration. But if you're from the Indigenous community, you're more likely to hear it referred to as Invasion Day or Survival Day. Now, this show is about communication and media. It seemed to us that this day of national flag-waving was a perfect occasion to explore the way Indigenous communities around the country are using the media of communication to recast and recalibrate Australia history and national mythologies. Celeste Little is an Arunda woman living in Melbourne, and she's a committed feminist, Aboriginal activist, and a freelance opinion writer. And most importantly, she's a very successful, she's very successful in her use of social media to cover issues to do with the Indigenous community and using a feminist perspective. I caught up with her earlier in the week to talk about how Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities have been mobilizing through social media, and we started our discussion with her views about Invasion Day. You've written something that's very interesting, and you've said that you don't think that people should be using Invasion Day or Survival Day, and your preferred way of describing it is calling it Amnesia Day, and I was wondering why you thought that. Um, oh, I guess that, that's probably not completely accurate um so i'm i'm pretty good with invasion day as well just because i think that it frames the historical um narrative adequately um in a way that you know all other terms don't really it it tells the story of exactly what happened and i think that you know people aren't particularly aware of what the um what the legal fiction of terra nullius meant for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, in this country. But um, when, when I was talking Amnesia Day, it was, um, it was I guess, the great big process of, um, of forgetting or, you know, bits of information just being um, done away with within the mind so that, um, so that people could just push on with what it is that they felt they knew. So... To, in order to celebrate Australia Day, in my opinion, for, um, for most of Australia, they need to actually actively forget in some sort of way um, all, of the, all of the policies of genocide, the, um, 
the false doctrine of terra nullius. You know, they need to actually forget the very things that these uh, that this country has been founded upon, and um, that's that's why I sort of quite liked that term when I heard it. We are a communications program. We're focused on communication and and media, and it's a good way of leading into that because I guess one of the things that's really important in relation to what you do is you are very active on social media. And, and I'm I'm wondering, is social media, in terms of the way the Indigenous community uses it, is is it something that can, can address that amnesia? I think that the reason why we're seeing more activism now um, than what we were, say, 10 years ago when it comes to when it comes to mainstream solidarity actions on Invasion Day has to do um, in great part to social media. So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, activists, for want of a better term, were really, really quick at grabbing social media, networking across the country and, and channeling it for its potential. Um, it enabled us to communicate over vast distances to um, to family members and community members that you know would have taken weeks before. It would have taken you know writing letters and phone calls and trying to get things backwards and forwards. But we can do all of that sort of stuff instantly. Plus, we can share information, and the information that we can share can then go out to a crowd that might not have necessarily received our communications before. So, you know, it was it was like. Um, it was like social media, things like blogs and Facebook and, you know, even Twitter to an extent, gave us an opportunity to tell alternate narratives. And we were very, very on the front foot with grabbing it and using it um, straight away. Is there a particular event over the last 10 years where you felt that social media was really critical in mobilizing the Indigenous community to, I guess, address a particular issue? I think that, you know, things like the um, the Stop the Fourth Closure rallies in Melbourne, um, for example, or even um, the best example I can think of last year was the Dondale one. So the Dondale rally where, you know, the, the, um, the video footage of those human rights abuses within the juvenile detention centre in the Northern Territory got aired on television, got shared all across the networks, the protests popped out of that and the sort of support that we were getting on the ground was about 3,000 people marching in Melbourne mm. and then um, when you know call out for, for support when we were when we ended up doing a sit-in until two o'clock in the morning um, the call out for support pretty much all went on social media and people were coming down with supplies or you know mm. bringing a marquee and tents mm. and mm. all that mm. sort of stuff so so that ability to use it to mobilize activism is is a really, really good one. You yourself have been right at the forefront, I guess uh, I would say, look, my, I'm you know, reading your uh, Facebook page just today. Uh, you've got over 22,000 likes. When did you decide to, as it were, put your toe in the water? I didn't even mean to. It was kind of like I was saying, I, um, I just sort of jumped onto the platforms and started networking with people, and it was a really natural thing to do from a community perspective. So linking up over those sorts of distances just kind of happened quite naturally. There were a bunch of Indigenous activists who were interested in, um, you know, 
fighting against injustices. I think that a lot of us ended up being linked in together when, um, right at the early days of Facebook, when people started setting up um, what they called official pages about various key Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that had done that had been done without the consent of the families and the communities and those people. So, you know, we started working together on that sort of activism, and it kind of grew. But um, my blog was just kind of started because I don't know. I was encouraged to do it by a couple of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, and. I wasn't expecting that it would be something that would lead to the media career that I've ended up with now. Um, now, you better tell tell us what the name of your blog is, because everybody, I think, will be looking for it now. <laughs> yeah, Rantings of an Aboriginal Feminist. So it hasn't been touched for quite a while because, um, because of this sort of media career that sprung out of it. But um, I think that due to that sort of networking, those the views expressed within a blog like that actually gained some traction within mainstream. So they, were, they started getting interested um, due mm. to our activism on social media at, at showing these sorts of views in a much broader, broader context. And your Facebook page has been a great success. What do you, what do you put that down to? It's, it's a cross between, I guess, um, you know, I'm multi-focused, so there definitely is a lot of... Um, Indigenous activism on the page, but I I also identify as a feminist and a trade unionist, so I get people from those crowds as well as other sort of I don't know members mm. of the broader radical left who are interested in reading more of those views. It could just be down to my communication style as well. But um, one thing that gave my page a bit of a boost was when um, I was kicked off Facebook twice. More than that, because um, a, a speech that I'd given had been republished with an image that Facebook deemed pornography, but was actually just Aboriginal women undertaking the ceremony. And um, I, I got targeted by um, right-wing elements within Australia, and they set to close me down. So the process of trying to close mm. down a voice mm. actually mm. led to that voice being amplified. In your conversation just now, you talked about a particular style that, that, that you present your stuff in. Are you conscious of that style, or how, how, do, you, how do you sort of formulate that? Is it purely um, intuition, or do you sort of work on a particular way of doing stuff? Not really. Um, I'm, I'm pretty candid on there. So, you know, some... The the ways that I um, I present a lot of my stuff, you know, tends to be ways that I process it myself. So there's a bit of this weird um, mm. anti-establishment punk attitude thing that just seems to come through on my page, which, um, you know, it, 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 I naturally link up causes. Um, there's no other way that I know how to um, how to process them because I'm naturally intersectional. Um, so, so you know, it's probably just how things come out naturally, but um, it seems to be a style that people have identified with for whatever reason. So, yeah, I'm, I'm at least glad that, you know, I can use that not only to expand the conversation from my own perspective, but also to amplify other Indigenous voices and feminist and unionist voices that I find interesting. And are there any other... Um online places that people could go uh, to hear voices like yours? Is, is yours unique in Australia or is it 
Uh, is it something which is growing? And where could we find other things like that? My voice is definitely not unique. Um, I'd say, you know, places like Indigenous X, where you get that sort of scrolling um, or changing Twitter account between a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people within the community, and that also has um, a website and a Facebook page, um, you know, following people's work like Amy McGuire, for example, or looking at... Um, Looking at spaces like the Warriors of the um, Aboriginal Resistance is another one. Um, there's lots of there's lots of resources out there, and I think that you know they're they're well networked as well. So usually, if you can find one of us, you can tap into all the rest of the pages. And that was Celeste Little, activist, feminist, social commentator, and social media guru with an Indigenous focus. And I have to add, super organizer for the Australia Invasion Day March, which I was at, and at last count was estimated to be 50,000 people. It was amazing and very inspiring as well. Come to the rally against the Centrelink Debt Recovery Scheme at 12.30 on the 31st of January at the State Library in Melbourne. The government has unleashed a flawed debt recovery scheme. Thousands of past and present Centrelink clients have been told to pay debts they don't owe. This has been a highly distressing experience for the people affected. We all need to stand up to this attack and demand the scheme be scrapped. Come and join the rally at 12.30 on the 31st of January at the State Library, corner of Swanson and La Trobe Streets, Melbourne. Visit the Facebook page, Dignity Not Debt, end a Centrelink debt debacle. Spread the word and we'll see you there organised by the Australian Unemployment Workers' Union. You're with Communication Mixdown and I'm Jen Martin and we're in the studio today talking about media and the Indigenous community. With me is Jack Lattimore. He's an Indigenous researcher with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne and he's currently involved in the development of several projects which are aimed at improving the quality of Indigenous representation and participation in the mainstream media sphere. He's a videographer, he writes short fiction, and his journalism work has appeared in the Koori Mail, he was reporting for them today, Guardian Australia, Overland and Indigenous X, as well as The Citizen. So Jack joins us in Communication Mixdown on Invasion Day. He's helping us understand more about the diversity of Indigenous media and the challenges of facing being heard above the noise and the chatter of the mainstream. Welcome, Jack. Hello, how are you going? Good, good. Look, can you begin by telling us about your research project, um, which establishes exactly what Indigenous media is out there and what it's doing? Yeah, well, we um, it's a very long provenance uh, of how it came about. Essentially, we did an audit of um, Indigenous media, uh, social media, uh, digital media, new media, right through to legacy media uh, and, you know, we're talking newspapers, radio, community radio. Um, and we came up with very quickly around about 150 um, outlets that were putting out um, news, uh, original sort of news to, uh, say, about a 1,000 or more people. Uh, we, we grouped them together and, you know, at that stage said, what can we do with it? Um, and we started to sort of think about... 
the importance of this sphere and what this the potential of this sphere, I guess, is. All right, so tell me a bit more about what that looks like. So, so where are they? Is it newspapers? Is it more radio? Um, What's being said and who's it being said to? What I looked at specifically was uh, what was coming through on social media. Mm. Uh, we've got a long history, uh, like an established history of stuff uh, in print, what I call old media or legacy yep. media. Uh, so I sort of focused on what was coming through on Facebook and Twitter and a few other channels, YouTube. Um, there's a little bit on Snapchat or uh, the other – what's the other one with the um, – Tumblr, um, you know, there's, there's some stuff going on there. And, you know, the, the point is that Aboriginal people are accessing these outlets to inform themselves about what's going on. Okay. And you've also um, doing a lot of research and work on an app. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. Well, as I said, when we got this, say, 150 outlets together, um, we started asking, you know, how is it working? What's it doing? What can we do with it to uh, bolster what might already be happening? Um, so I got together with a fellow named Elias Khan, who is an engineer, and we uh, we started, you know, basically sandpitting an idea of how we could, you know, aggregate these outlets firstly, but then how we can instead of just a basic aggregator, how we can implement that within the uh, media industry uh, to assist with what was already going on, uh, to augment it. Um, so, you know, the driving force behind what we're doing was to amplify these voices. Um, what I perceived and others out there was that even within the mainstream media or dominant media, there was a very limited amount of voices that were coming through. Um, and we knew that you know there was a lot of these outlets, so we thought, what can we do to assist them with you know, making it making their voices more amplified? It's really interesting you're saying that um, a limited number of voices are actually getting through the gate. We'll, we'll come back to that um, point in a moment. But is is a part of this app? It sounds to me it would be terribly valuable in educating reporters and educating those mainstream reporters. Is is that part of? Yeah, that is an aspect. Uh, in October last year, we had a roundtable at the Wheeler Centre. We got a few people, uh, blackfellas in from around the country, as many as we could get on a, on a limited budget. And we worked in, uh, in, con- in conjunction or collaboration with Oxfam. Um, and we were looking at a, a number of things, but one of the things was how can we implement some of what we're looking at into mainstream uh, newsrooms. Um, we didn't get across entirely in the very limited amount of time that we had uh, how we can do that, but we made some inroads on it and hopefully this is going to be a rolling sort of project. It's interesting because I just know having worked in the media, it's you have your go-to people and it's quite easy for the same spokespeople to be used over and over again. You've actually got to be quite conscious and aware as a journal of who you're talking to and who you're drawing from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's like... A very fundamental aspect of what we're doing is trying to open up the sourcing. Um, recently, I've spoken with you know, a very diverse amount of blackfellas um, from you know everything from the theatre world right through to you know your, your, your hardcore activists, um, and the consensus is that you know we've we've got a diverse number of voices uh, that should be reflected in the mainstream media, but it hasn't been. 
So what we're trying to do is get more of those voices through, um, infiltrate mainstream media systems, uh, but also to celebrate indigeneity or mm. Aboriginalness. Um, you know more, and let non-indigenous Australia know that there are a range of voices and perspectives, as opposed to the very narrow amount that seem to make it through on the you know the platforms, the mainstream platforms. Now, look on that point. If you could explain to our listeners a little bit about um, Indigenous X and their relationship with the Guardian, um, and that's had a real impact on challenging information that's been put out about the Indigenous community. And I'm thinking specifically, and, and you can talk to this, Jack, in relation to the debate about the constitutional recognition for Australia's First Nations people. And there was a poll, wasn't there, that was put out and then um, challenged. Yeah, yeah. Well, Indigenous X is a really interesting outlet in itself. Um, in 2013, when Guardian Australia established itself in Australia, I think it was Kath Viner at that stage, um, mm. approached the founder of Indigenous X, Luke Pearson, and they came up with this hybrid relationship where that uh, Indigenous X would you know, um, provide them with an access point to Aboriginal Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Australia. Um, and you know, the mission statement uh, from Indigenous X is to celebrate, you know, being Aboriginal and all the things that we are, we do and are capable of and the difference in diversity um, within, you know, our sphere. Uh, so based on that, it's been going since well, 2012, 2013. Um, in 2014, I think it was, uh, constitutional recognition through the publicity... Um, uh, campaign known as Recognise had put out a, uh, a you know a poll that said you know broadly speaking that most people supported uh, constitutional recognition. They spent a, a fair amount of money on it, is my understanding, and they didn't release too many details about it. I've got some figures here. It was seventy five percent of all Australians and eighty seven percent of Indigenous Australians supported yeah. recognition. Yeah. Uh, and any figures on the amount of money they spent? No, but I can find those. Okay. Well, good luck because I haven't been able to. Oh, a challenge. Um, Damn. Look, the story is that Indigenous X spent $200 putting up a, um, a poll, a Twitter-based poll. They acknowledged all of the shortcomings of that poll in terms of self-selecting, you know, basic uh, shortcomings of methodology. They acknowledged that. They were upfront about it. Um, Celeste Little and Luke Pearson were a part of it. The results of the poll came back completely the opposite of what the official one was of X amount of money in cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so $200 found out that I think it was something like 63 to 68% opposed constitutional recognition. Now, put aside the, diff, you know, the, the shortcomings of methodology, you got two polar opposite results the story the narrative that was going through at the time was that recognize uh, constitutional recognition was widely accepted this proved that it wasn't um and it also i say it 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 made the whole uh, conversation or dialogue pivot you had people like noel pearson uh, you know advocates for constitutional recognition turning around saying oh maybe you know we have to do things a little bit differently tony abbott was still in charge then you had pearson 
and I think Mick or Pat Dodson go and and propose that perhaps there had to be more community consultation. Up until that point, it was just you know snowballing ahead. There was no no real talk about any further community consultation beyond what the expert panel had already done. And of course, the mainstream, predominantly white media, you'll that's what they're going to take, isn't it? You're going to take that, that main view that's presented. You're not even going yeah, to hear yeah. those, oh, those look, voices. I was doing um, some work at the ABC at the time and, and I proposed a story that perhaps we should be looking at some of the alternative voices um, and, you know, the people that I spoke to who were supportive, I must add, um, but they said, you know, their react, initial reaction was why would anyone oppose it? And that's, that's the question, and that's where the debate and the informed discussion comes from, but mm. it can only come from when those voices are, are well, heard. Well, that was 2014, and I think since then, um, through the work of Indigenous X and others and the rise of you know Aboriginal people on social, making it through, uh, sort of infiltrating or bridging across from social into mainstream media through various outlets like BuzzFeed or Guardian Australia, mm. um, I think, you know, we're starting, we have heard those, and I think, you know, now the debate, we're actually having a dialogue about it instead of a publicity campaign. Well, Jack, thank you so much for coming into the studio today and, and helping us um, hear some of those voices and, and views. It's been just fascinating, and I already know we'll have to get you back on to talk oh, a lot I'm more happy about to come other back. issues. All right, thank you. Thank that you. was... Um, Guru journalist Jack Lattimore, and he was talking to us about the fascinating world and diverse world of Indigenous media and the app he's developing that will lead to a better educated, more connective or connected public sphere in Australia. That's our hope, Jack. So that's that's the burden for you. And um, that's it for Communication Mixdown this week. Thank you, John. And we're here next Thursday.